Hello and welcome to a special Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Reish, your host, and we are filming in Perth, Western Australia. And we're here for the, the YB Catholic Conference called Behold, and it's organized by Evangelizing or Evangelization Australia. Michael Chong and his team doing a great job. And I'm here with the one and only uh, Tim Staples. Hello, Tim. Good to this see you, my friend. Always good to see you. Um, I, this is now, would this be your third trip to Perth? Fourth. Fourth to Perth. Wow. <laughs> so I remember your first one in Perth. It was, was it 2015 or 2016? Boy, I can't. I can't remember. Which I can't year. remember. Could it be 2015? I think it was 15. 15. Yeah, yeah. And you, yeah, and, and it's it interesting because you were the first speaker for Evangelization Australia. And that set them up in a big way. And I, was, I remember that first event. And aren't they doing a great job? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But uh, I've been eight times to Australia. That's right. So yeah. we'll never forget our first time. It was um, 2009. I remember July. We celebrated your birthday right. uh, during that time. Uh, Independence Day. I mean, it was a pretty interesting time during that time. And you really set a fire in, 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 a, in Sydney, which then spread uh, nationwide. And that Praise launched, I, I have to say, even Perusia in a real way. So I have a lot to thank you for. Um, <laughs> thank and God. we have people till today still talking about that first trip. Um, 6,000 people over six days, uh, 16 talks, you were busy. Uh, <laughs> I'll never forget it. Um, Back then I had limitless energy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you didn't stop. I remember you would I didn't give want a talk. To stop. <laughs> the talks would go for two hours and then, and Q&A would keep going for three hours and then uh, you'd sign books and then it'll be, Q&A sessions at the book signing, oh, and that would yeah. go till past midnight. It was just phenomenal. So yeah, you, you're on fire, and you have, you've, um, so eight times, uh, you've, you are a convert. People know your story. I'm not going to go through all that because they can go check it out. Jimmy Swagger made me Catholic, and I've heard all that. But you've, um, you know, you've you're got, got seven children. Yes. Uh, uh, now grown, or age now, how old is? 19 down yes. to six. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you were in San Diego. You've been there um, ever since moving to Catholic Kansas. 18 years. 18 years yeah. there. Wow. That's as long as Perusia has existed. So 18 years. So, That's right. So you left, you were St. Joseph's before then? That's right. I was seven years okay. at, at, at St. Joseph's Communications. And three years before that, I was with a little group called St. Joseph Radio. Ah, okay. From 94 to 97. And, wow. Uh, so I've been at this now. 29 years wow, it's hard amazing. to believe you know it, it'll be 30 years coming up in in 24 and it just i i know it sounds cliche but it seems like yesterday yes wow <laughs> wow um i have to say what what was impressive about your um your style and and the way you can just quote scripture and then quote catechism and then quote encyclicals <laughs> uh paragraph verse uh, but then the joy you have that oozes out of you, you're, you're dynamic, you're fun, uh, and loyal to the magisterium all the way. God is good. It. You Amen. know, I, I always say to the other apologists, you know, we're in a perfect position because really all we have to do is quote the catechism and people yes. think we're smart. <laughs> you know, we have 2,000 years yes. of tradition. We yes. have the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We really, in a sense, are professional parrots because yes. we just speak the mind of the church and you know when you do that you're speaking the mind of Christ and it's his word ultimately that yes. transforms the world. Love it. Amen. Oh, powerful. Now you are and you've covered a lot of topics. I remember in your in your own testimony Mary was a big hurdle. Yes. Now what's interesting is uh, and I remember we used to sell a set uh, all generations shall call me blessed. That was a nine 
See, that was like 11 hours or something that, of audio that's teaching. Right, that's right. You then did it again uh, with Catholic Answers as a two-part CD right. series. Actually made it longer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it ended up being what about, that? what, 12 called? CDs. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think it was a part one and part two. Yes. I don't even remember. Did we call it all Generations? I don't even remember now. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll have the link out, the CD, those who still want the CDs and MP3s. Yeah, they're still out there. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. Uh, you then wrote a book. This is a masterpiece, this one, Behold Your Mother. Um, and this, I think, the best apologetics on Mary in book form you mm. could find. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, um, it, so first of all, uh, I mean, you've, you've got Nuts and Bolts, which I remember that came out quite a while ago. That's a... Uh, that's a nice sort of a little sort of a sampler, I guess, of different stories of of you um, having different encounters with different different uh, people along the yeah, way. Yeah, you, you have an encounter with an atheist. Yes. You have an encounter with a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, an evangelical in the grocery store. Yes. You know, and each one of those are based on actual discussions I've had over okay. the years. And Love that, it. that came out back in 1999. Wow. But it, it's effective, I think, because, you know, it pulls you into a real conversation. And you mm. can relate to it because probably most folks have had those similar situations where you have the Jehovah's Witness and you wish you could have had some better answers for them. Yes. You know? So yes. I kind of give you the, the answers there in the midst of a real live discussion. Yeah, fantastic. So still available. We've got on our website, perusiumedia.com, Basilica Press. Correct. Still do that? Yeah. Uh, and then... Then you had a, a booklet, uh, like these 20 answers from Catholic Answers on Mary. Yes. Uh, but this masterpiece, uh, so this came out, what, five years ago now? Six yeah, years ago? Yeah, hard to believe, yeah. It's uh, been about five, six years ago. Yeah. Um, great, a biblical and historical defense of the Marian doctrines. Right. And really, that's, it's so special for me because, as you mentioned, Mary was the ultimate obstacle for me in my odyssey to the Catholic faith. I, in fact, <laughs> I jokingly say, but it's true, I thought Mary was the one thing that was going to keep me Protestant. <laughs> but boy, was I in for a surprise because it caused me to really dive deep. And my buddy Matt Dula gave me some of the tools to, to investigate. But I dove deep on Mary because she was that last obstacle. But for me, it was more, I'm digging deep to prove the insanity of the Catholic mm. faith. But I uncovered just a boatload. My buddy Matt Dula gave me you know, some things like Mary full of grace and, and Mary the New Eve, the Ark of the Covenant, which I had never heard before. But as I dove deeper and I dug into the fathers, I discovered such a wealth of truth mm -hmm. on, on Mary that now this is the first topic I want to talk about with people because yeah. I find that it blows my Protestant friend's mind when they get a hold of my book and they see, oh my goodness, the wealth of biblical data yes. as well as historical data on the Marian wow. doctrine. I want to whet people's appetite here. Yes, let's do Firstly, it. Firstly, uh, I mean, you've got it in parts, so you got like, Part one, two, three, four, and five. Uh, and really, you have a sixth part too, even though we call it the conclusion there. Okay. The sixth part on the queenship of Mary. Okay. And you've got um, also uh, in the, the introduction, I love just, just starting there, why Mary matters. So why does Mary matter? Yeah, yeah. That's Let's start there. A, a huge eye-opener. When you dive in, especially if you talk about the Theotokos, right? Mm. What's uh, the Theotokos? That's right, God-bearer, that's okay. Greek for the God-bearer or mother of God. 
And just that, which is the first, and, and we say the final cause of all the other dogmas, that means, you know, because, it's because Mary was called to be the mother of God that she was immaculately conceived to prepare her. And it's because she's immaculately conceived to be prepared to be the mother of God that she would be bodily assumed into heaven. Really, everything flows from that first and greatest dignity of the Blessed Mother being the mother of God. But as I point out in the book, uh, if you deny Mary is the mother of God, you are going to end up missing it on who Jesus is, yes. who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I show, and I think this is one of the important things about the book, is I show with all the Marian doctrines and dogmas that if you miss it on these, you're going to end up missing it on the most important dogmas of our faith. Mary matters, you better believe it. As, as you know, we, we could use the obvious one, right? Nestorius, the famous uh, arch-heretic of the 5th century who was Patriarch of Constantinople in 429, and he introduced this heresy, denying Mary is the mother of God, and it threw the whole world into an uproar. Wow. We had the Ecumenical Council of Ephesus to deal with this, and of course, famously, St. Cyril of Alexandria wrote a masterpiece refuting actually two masterpieces that were read at the council and Pope Celestine would ratify them unchanged. I mean, Cyril mm. was just brilliant. Celestine didn't even have to change anything, but it was a refutation of Nestorius. But what he did is he, like a lot of our modern uh, Protestant friends, rejected the idea of Mary as mother of God. But the problem is when you reject it, well, then you've got to answer a really important question. If you're denying Mary's the mother of God, well, then who did she give birth to? Yes, right? exactly. If, if, and, and, of course, Nestorius came up famously with the idea that she gave birth to the man, Jesus Christ. He effectively denied or, or divided Christ into two persons. Rather than what we understand, uh, which would be defined at Ephesus and then 20 years later at, at Chalcedon so beautifully, is that Christ is one person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature, hypostatically, which just means in the hypostasis or in the person of Christ. You have the two natures but one person. He effectively divided those two natures and said, well, Mary gave birth to the man Jesus Christ. Well, the problem is, in the process of denying Mary's mother of God, you created another Jesus. Mm. And that's a Jesus that can't save anybody because Jesus is not two persons. And it's a really odd sort of thing. Nestorius said there's two persons with a moral union. So in other words, they always agree with each other. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, divine Jesus, how are you? Well, I'm pretty good there, human <laughs> Jesus. They always agree, but they're two distinct persons, which is wow. uh, absurd mm. and contrary to the clear testimony of sacred scripture. I mean, you know, John 10, 30, Jesus, the same Jesus who says, I and the Father are one, in John 10.30, in John 14.28 says, the Father is greater than I. Yes. So notice, as man, the Father is greater than I. As God, the Father and I are one. It's the same person, Yes. but he is uh, experiencing reality through two distinct natures, but it's the same I, right? So what happens... Nestorius creates this Jesus, as I said, that can't save anyone, and the council declares the truth on the matter. And now we fast forward all of these centuries, and today you have Protestants reinventing that heresy 
denying Mary's a mother of God, and in the end, what happens? They end up losing the real Jesus. And I, I go through in my book and show mm. you some of the biggest names in Protestant apologetics, Dr. Walter Martin, Dr. Yes. Uh, Eric Svensson, who do the same thing in missing it on Mary, they end up missing it on who Jesus Christ yeah, is. Wow. And we could go on forever, you know, yes. Charbel, because not only do you end up missing it on who God is, who Jesus Christ is, when you deny Mary's the mother of God, but you can go down all the Marian dogmas and see how that if you reject Mary as the Immaculate Conception, you're gonna end up losing it on the dignity of the human person mm -hmm. it, it, itself because here God is preparing Mary to be the mother of God and he gives her these particular graces as well as the, the a grace of state beyond <laughs> all the angels and, and saints combined in order to prepare her for her august task. Well, God does the same thing with us in baptism you're a cradle catholic right mm -hmm. yes you were baptized as a little baby yes. god was preparing you before you could even talk or walk all you were doing is laying there pooping and the <laughs> priest puts water on your head baptizes you in the name of the father son and holy spirit and you are given all the graces you will ever need as a catholic christian to change this world now of course he's going to supersize it with confirmation and the other sacraments as well but you see, what ends up happening when folks don't understand the dignity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, they end up missing it on our own dignity. Mm -hmm. And there tends to be a loss when you miss it on Mary, a loss of the understanding of the dignity of the human person and the greatness to which we are all called. Of course, Mary was called to save the whole world in cooperation with her son and so she was given unique graces to do so but we too are given these graces because we are called to, to greatness we're not a pile of dung as Luther said yeah. covered over with snow but deep down what are you you're still a bunch of cow dung you know <laughs> no we are transformed by the Word of God and the sacraments you know, in imitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we look to the Blessed Virgin Mary as our hope because we see in her perfected, concretized what God has planned for you and I as well. And I'm telling you, when you have a theology, as we see in Protestantism, that says you're cow dung and, and so forth, it has an effect in your spiritual life. Mm. But when you have a theology that tells you you are called to greatness, you are called to transform the world like the Blessed Mother. You can look to her as your hope and see what God has already done, and that will spur you on to greatness as well. Praise God. Wow. So that's why Mary matters. You miss it on Mary, <laughs> you miss it on Jesus. So, I mean, I love the idea. The more you appreciate who Mary is and the, the love, it's not that, and a lot of Protestants might think it takes away from Jesus, right. but the very opposite happens. Your love for Jesus sort of grows. <laughs> you Absolutely. appreciate Jesus even more, don't you? And yeah, and that's why I titled the book, Behold Your Mother. Yeah. Because of course we know, you know the scene says that. in yes. John chapter 19, 26, that beautiful text where here we are, John the Apostle is there with the Blessed Mother and the Holy Women. And John is gazing up at his dying Savior. And I know as a Protestant, 
my theology told me John is looking at Jesus and that's all he all you need is Jesus and here's John looking at his dying Savior but what does the Savior say to him he says behold your mother he <laughs> says look to your mother as a Protestant I would say to Jesus Jesus I know you've lost a lot of blood maybe you're confused here <laughs> but I'm looking to you you see Jesus knows, and there are a number of things we could point to here why yes. he said those famous words, but two simple ones is, number one, Jesus knows us. God knows us. He knows what we need, and you and I need a mother. Mm. It's born into our very DNA, right? Yes. We need a mother, and God can't be that for us yes. because God is not revealed to be mother. He's father. Scripture, in fact, the Catechism of the Catholic Church in section 239 and 240 talks about how in the Old Testament, God is revealed to be like a mother, hmm. but he is a father yes. revealed in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. So why is that significant? Because in a sense, he can't be that. Now, I know some of my theologian friends would be saying right now, but wait a minute, Tim, all the perfections that we talk about being feminine, Mm -hmm. whether it's that imminence, love, wisdom, uh, and so forth, all of those perfections are infinite in God. In fact, every perfection that a woman has comes from God. And that is absolutely true. But that doesn't mean God is mother. Yes. He right. has all of those perfections, yes, but he's not mother. He is father. Yet he knows we need a mother. And so here, at the foot of the cross, on the cross, Jesus reveals through John, I have your back. Amen. Behold your mother. I have provided for you not just a mother, but the perfect mother. And then secondly, I would point out that there's something else that God can't be for us. Jesus can't be for us. He can't be a disciple of Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus can't be a disciple of Jesus. And yet, he knows we need so, disciples yeah. to look up to. I mean, think of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 and 15, where St. Paul says, you have 10,000 instructors in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have not many fathers. Mm. I have become your father, for I've begotten you through the gospel. I urge you, therefore, brethren, be imitators of me. Yes. He's offering himself as an icon. I don't know about you, brother. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I, I want to get there. I do to where I can say imitate me. <laughs> but but this is, the important thing is Paul was there. Yes. Pope St. John Paul the Great, all the saints that we have to look up to and such, these are needed well on the cross. Jesus gives us not just any icon, not just any disciple, but the greatest and model yes. for all disciples. Beautiful. The icon of icons in the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so there you see in a profound way that the theology of all I need is Jesus is contrary to what Jesus said. Yes, Jesus <laughs> says, you know what? No, you need other members of the body of Christ. Yes. We're a body. Yes. A finger can't say it doesn't need the rest. And, and that's, that's Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, when he famously in verse 21 says, can the, can the eye say to the hand, I have no need of thee? Can the head say to the foot, I have no need of thee? No, we need each other. 
But once again, God's got our back. Jesus has our back. He says, I'm giving you the perfect disciple to look to again as that sign of hope. Yes. And through her intercession, we have the power of her prayers to get us to the end goal. Beautiful. Oh. So you've touched a little bit here. I mean, behold your mother. I love that. Mother of God. You touched on a little bit um, on full of grace. Yes. But uh, and we've got ever virgin assumed into heaven mediatrix. So you've got all these the dogmas of the Catholic Church. So there are four dogmas. Correct. Um, and I go beyond the dogmas. I also talk about co-redemptrix mediatrix, yes. which is uh, a doctrine of the faith, as well as queenship, which okay. have never been form formally defined, but okay. they are infallible teachings. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, sake of time let's touch on just just something to whet the appetite because mary you know we first hear about her in in the gospels but you, you do tap in i love how you've tapped into the old testament and some of the sort of types of mary or, or yes. references to this woman this virgin this um yeah uh, can you touch a wet our appetite here sure sure uh, what's oh, stuff yeah. in the old testament that, that refers to Mary? yeah and you can name the dogma you want to talk about and you see them all in the old testament it, wow. at least in type and i bring that out in the book chapter by chapter but here's a great example when when you uh talk about the miraculous na nature of christ's birth mm. you know for pro protestants they're like, what in the world are you talking about? You know, especially among the liberal Protestants, they yeah. don't even accept the vir the virgin birth, yeah. much less, you know, the Marian yes. dogmas. And yet, we have incredible texts of scripture, like Isaiah chapter sixty-six, verses seven and eight, which talks about Mary's miraculous give, giving birth uh, to Jesus, and it says. Behold, something that the world has never seen before. Who ever heard of such things? A woman gives birth without the travail of birth pangs. Wow. Who has ever seen a thing like this? And that's in the context of Isaiah 66, which will, just a few verses later, talk about the new heavens and the new earth, that Revelation chapter 21 will quote, concerning the coming of the new covenant and its fullness, the parousia, yes, right? <laughs> yes, yes. You know something about the parousia. <laughs> you know, it, it's, its fullness of coming at the, at the end of time. And so there you have the miraculous birth, Mary giving birth without labor pains and so forth. And that's very closely related as well to her perpetual virginity yes. as well. So that the, the idea that, and this is another thing that I, I, I go heavily into in the book is the perpetual virginity of Mary and and your your question is a good one with regard to the types in the Old Testament yes. because if you understand the Old Testament it is absolutely insane to think it even possible that Mary could ever have other children you know for example in the Old Testament the idea of consecration a thing or a person that is consecrated to God in the Old Testament can never be used for any other purpose other than what it or he is consecrated for. And I mm -hmm. go through examples from the, the high priest to his garments 
in, in uh, Exodus chapter 28, the high priest is consecrated to offer the sacrifice. In fact, they used to tie, many of you have heard of this, they yes. would tie a rope around his legs when he goes into the Holy of Holies because if he makes the slightest error in his job of offering up the yearly sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, he will drop dead and they have to pull him out yeah. <laughs> and get another high priest. I mean, that's how serious God is about consecration or, or the, the Ark of the Covenant. I tell the story of the famous Uzzah of 2 Samuel yes. chapter 6, who was a Kohathite Levitical priest who was tasked with carrying, along with his brother, uh, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And he could not touch it. They had these wooden staves overlaid with gold that went through golden rings on both sides of the Ark to where they could carry it. And there would have been several, about six, uh, Kohathites that would have been mm. carrying the Ark. Actually, four, because you'd have two in the front and two, two in the right. back. Yes. That would be carrying the Ark of the Covenant. But they could not touch the Ark. Why? Because only the high priest in his consecration was consecrated to even be able to touch the Ark. Well, when they were carrying the Ark into Jerusalem, the newly conquered Jerusalem that King mm. David was about to make the capital of Israel, uh, they weren't doing their job, if you remember. They put the ark up on the back of some oxen, and the oxen, oxen are walking into the city, and you know how when they walk, their shoulders roll. Well, the ark was about to fall. Yes. And Uzzah the Kohathite is thinking, oh my goodness, if that, and his brother Ahio was there as well, but if that thing falls, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> And it was about to fall. He reached out and saved it from falling, but of course he lost his life yes. because God killed him instantly. You know, and we, I, I, I multiply the examples in, in the book of these examples of consecration in the Old Testament. The ark was consecrated for a purpose, and only those who were consecrated to touch it could even touch it. And when you understand those sorts of things and you understand the sacredness of these mm. things, the idea that Joseph could dream of touching Mary in an intimate way, Joseph was, he's revealed as the righteous man. He knew the Old Testament. And when it was revealed to him just who this woman was, are you kidding me? He knew immediately he was called to be her protector, yes. her caretaker. He could never touch her in an intimate way because she belonged to the Holy Spirit. That's just one example among so many, but the sad thing is, uh, Charbel, is that when you miss it on Mary's perpetual virginity, you're going to miss it then on the nature of consecration, the consecrated mm -hmm. life, celibacy, and the dignity of marriage. The amazing thing about Mary is she's the protector. They, we call her the hammer of heretics, right? <laughs> She's the protector of so many of the doctrines and dogmas of the faith just in her very being. She shows us the dignity of marriage, of celibacy, of consecrated life, the, the, the idea of consecration itself, sacraments. When you lose it, when you lose Mary's perpetual virginity, you see, see happen exactly what's happened in Protestantism. To the degree they began to reject Mary, because remember, Luther, Calvin, Knox, mm -hmm. Uh, Zwingli, even Wesley, 200 years later, still believed in the perpetual Virginia Mary. Wow. But once that dogma went, so did marriage, so did celibacy, so did consecrated life. And look at Protestantism now. There's not a single 
Protestant denomination out there that doesn't allow for divorce, yes. no questions asked, and we could go on and on. Every one of the Marian dogmas matter. I love it. Oh. No, um, uh, I mean, just the Ark of the Covenant, the image of them carrying uh, the Ark with sticks and two in the front, two in the back. Yes. Uh, it, it looks very familiar. Uh, you know, I've been to Fatima and they have this statue of Mary and there's two people in the front, two people in the back carrying Mary. Is there any link there? Oh, absolutely. The <laughs> Ark mean, of the Covenant. I yeah. love it. I love Isn't it. it one of the titles. You know, and if you get my book and, and read it, and think about what Charbel just said, because all of these images of the Blessed Mother that a lot of times we take for granted as mm. Catholics, yeah. they're all deeply rooted in thousands of years of salvation wow. history. These are, these are not things the Catholic Church just made up one day. No, no that's <laughs> it's right. It's rooted in sacred scripture, and indeed it goes back even before the time of Christ. Um, I wanted to uh, touch on uh, where you said... Um, Mary, so she's a perpetual virgin in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah. We can get all those verses. They're all here, oh, all those verses. Yes. Um, yeah, Second uh, Samuel 6, 9, and all the prophetic texts, Isaiah chapter 66 and such. I lay them out, and so many Catholics have never even heard of, for example, Isaiah 66 that I no, just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And their minds are blown. Oh, my gosh, show these to your Protestant friends, because I'll guarantee you they're going to say, I didn't know that was yeah. in the Bible because they've never been taught it. Can I ask, you said consecration, Mary. How do we know she was consecrated? So where do we get that from? Yes, as a child. Yeah, how do we know that? Yeah, well, that comes from the tradition. Okay. And for example, not that it comes from this, uh, this work, I'm going to mention the Proto-Evangelium of James, which is an, it's an, uh, an important historical document. It's not sacred scripture, but it was written around 120 okay. to 140 AD. And by the way, this is where we get the St. Anne and St. Joachim, the, the parents yes. of Mary, that we hold to that was their names. Yes. So we have St. Anne and St. Joachim. In, yes. In, in, uh, we have feast days. Um, that comes from that document. Now, that doesn't make it scripture or anything, but it does give us some really key information about Mary's upbringing, her being consecrated from the time of childhood. But even those, and this is you know, an important point, because even though St. Jerome, he didn't like the Proto-Evangelium of James. In fact, he didn't like any of those, uh, those books. The books that, that purported to add to the life of Christ and things like that, Jerome was very hesitant. I, I think he was incorrect mm -hmm. on this, but he was very hesitant. He called them apocryphal rantings mm -hmm. and whatnot. And I think the reason for that is some were believing that these things were inspired. Okay. And of course the church condemned that. And Jerome, as a good bishop, as a good priest, I should say, he wasn't a bishop, but as a good priest, he was concerned for the people of God and such. But you find, even though Jerome didn't like those works, he accepted the traditions that yes. were revealed in them that were confirmed by the church, like the names of Mary's parents yes. and the tradition of Mary having already been consecrated. So what does that tell us? It tells us that that tradition of Mary being consecrated from the time she was seven years old doesn't come from the Proto-Evangelium of James. The Proto-Evangelium of James is simply one document that records what yeah. all Christians knew. Yeah, interesting. So it was widely understood so that Jerome would, would believe it, even though he didn't even like that particular yes. 
that particular work. And so, you know, when you when you examine any of the dogmas of the church, but especially the, the Mariology, you really see the importance of the tradition in understanding that, for example, the assumption of the Blessed Virgin yes, Mary. That's going to be our next topic here. <laughs> which, yeah, what, which uh, of course was believed all the way back to the point in which it happened and the apostles yes. were there, at least uh, 11 of them. Uh, it's reported by St. Gregory of Tours in 563 that Thomas wasn't there. Thomas, once again, he <laughs> missed out. But uh, he, he wasn't there, but the others were, and they saw our Blessed Mother assumed into heaven. And St. John Damascene will record similarly as, as well. He's the last father of the church. But, you know, uh, for years, I, even when I was a Protestant, said, see, you don't have any proof of the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary until like the sixth century. I mean, that's crazy, right? And that's absolutely false. In fact, because of really recent scholarship since 1950, when Pope Pius XII uh, promulgated the dogma of the Assumption, there's been a huge sort of revival, I'll use mm. that term now that we're in the Eucharistic revival yes. here, of, of Mariological studies and archaeology, and we've discovered manuscripts. Because just a, and by the way, this is in the book. Yeah, fantastic. But I point out that Pius XII commissioned his bishops to present to him evidence of a written succession of documents that could go all the way back to the first century on the assumption. Well, they weren't able to do it. Hmm. Uh, and so he couldn't include, he wanted to include that in his uh, document that he would write in 1950, Munificentissimus Deus, where he defined the dogma of, of the assumption. But what it did was, and by the way, you know, we have the tradition that goes all the way back, yes. so we don't need written yes. evidence that goes all the way back because we have the tradition, and that's a very important point. But that sparked th this revival and renewal where we have discovered new manuscripts. They're called the transitus stories of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we have a document now that's been discovered since 1950. This was like wow. a, in the early 1970s that has the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and scholars have dated it now to the third century. This is huge. Wow. This is like in the year 230, 250 AD, wow. a document, right? And people will say, but wait a minute, that's Gnostic. And, and yes, it is. But here's what's so significant. With these new discoveries of new documents, plus we have St. Epiphanius, who I mentioned in the book, yes. uh, in his famous Against Heresies, where he comes right on and says Mary is like Elijah. In fact, he believed she was caught up without dying. She was taken up without dying. Now, the church doesn't hold that tradition, at least on the ordinary level, we believe Mary died. But there you have uh, St. Epiphanius. In fact, St. Epiphanius, he's writing in 350 AD, and for him, there was no question as to whether was Mary was assumed or not. Everybody knows that. The question was whether she died or not. Yeah, that was the only yeah, question. Did she get assumed without dying or did she die, lay in state for three days like her, her master? And then 
she was taken up. You have Timothy of Jerusalem, I mentioned in the book also, who preached a famous homily in the fourth century, and he too agreed with Epiphanius mm. that she was assumed without dying. And now we have, of course, this transitus narrative now that goes back even further. But here's the, 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 the kicker for me. As people say, well, that third century document is Gnostic anyway, so that doesn't count for anything. And of course that's false, because these transitus narratives would explode all over the world in different languages, different families of manuscripts, as I point out, all over the world, but not a single Christian ever objected to them. Hmm. And far from objecting, Timothy of Jerusalem, Saint Epiphanius, agreed with them. And so what is that telling you? This was something where the Gnostics and the Christians agreed. Whereas when they denied, that is the Gnostics, denied things like the perpetual virginity of Mary or you know, that Christ had a physical body and that sort of stuff, which they denied, uh, the Christians were all over them. Yes. How dare you, right? And so that becomes uh, enormous for me because I had always been living under the assumption that the Catholics just invented the Assumption of Blessed Virgin Mary fairly recently. I would argue even more recent than the sixth century when I was Protestant. But, but you know, Protestants would bring out Gregory of Tours and say, oh, okay, you got that. But that's not until 563 A.D. Charbel, I show you in the book, we go back a long time Love before it. then. And in fact, we go all the way back to the Gospel of John. Mm. And John knew because he saw the Blessed Virgin Mary. She, she lived with him in Ephesus and he saw her assumed into heaven. And that's why, my friends, we have Revelation chapter 12, behold. Yeah. The woman clothed with the sun, under her feet the moon, on her head a crown of 12 stars. She's obviously gloriously bodily in heaven. She gives birth to Jesus in verse 5, and then in verse 17 she gives birth to all of us Love who it. have the testimony of Jesus Christ and, and keep the commandments of God. We are called her seed, Praise God. spermata in Greek, which goes right back to Genesis 3.15. I mean, there you have the assumption, and there's much, much more. The Ark of the Covenant in Revelation 11.19, you see the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. Who's that? The Blessed Virgin Mary. <laughs> and she's in the temple. Who's that? Jesus. Yes. John chapter 2, verse 21, the temple that he spoke of was his body. Yes. So when John sees the temple, he's not seeing that big massive building that was destroyed in 70 AD, he's seeing Christ. And not just Christ, but the body of Christ, right? Yes. Because his body that was raised from the dead, according to John 2, that's the temple. Well, in the same way, Mary's revealed as the Ark of the Covenant. And so when you see the Ark of the Covenant in heaven, you're not looking at that old box from Exodus chapter 25, overlaying with gold you're seeing the Blessed Virgin Mary in heaven and bodily so, because it was mm -hmm. the ark that historically contained three types of Christ, right? The ten words, right? Yes. Jesus is the word made flesh. Aaron's rod from number 16 that yes. miraculously budded flowers, right? Yes. Well, who is our high priest? Hebrews 3.1, Jesus Christ. Yes. And uh, a sample of the manna, which we know in John chapter 6, 
Jesus is the fulfillment of the manna. And so Mary is the Ark of the Covenant who carried not those three types, she carried the real Jesus inside of her. So of course, when you see the Ark in heaven, who is that Mary, but not just Mary, Mary's body. I'm telling you, Charbel, I ha- it was such a joy for me to write this book, and I really wrote it over many, many years. Mm. And so much research that I did on the Blessed Virgin Mary, I think as I think Father Mitch Paqua on the back. He's endorsed it, yes. Yeah, when he endorsed it, and, and he said, Tim Staples answers, what does he say? Every question or something. Clearly like answers every conceivable Protestant objection to Mary, the mother of God, yeah. with the street cred of one who has been there. <laughs> and you know what, I, I appreciated him saying that because that's in fact what I set out to do. And it was really from my own experience because I used to use Mary against my Catholic friends all the time because I thought this stuff was so crazy. And unfortunately, I was successful at times with Catholics because they didn't know their Mm. own faith. This is the antidote. Um, Amen. (laughs) You're talking about um, uh, assumption uh, the understanding of the East, the, the Dormition. Yes. So yes. Is this a, uh, I know there's, there's a famous icon, a beautiful icon of Our Lady right. uh, with, with angels that have sort of taken her up. And, yes. and these icons date way back, and the and, and, and early church would have done it. But sure, that goes back to the 6th century, beautiful. the 500s. And, Love the and Dormition even, of Our Lady. And even earlier. Yeah. The Theotokos, the Dormition. That's right. And that's oh. why um, when Pope Pius XII promulgated the dogma, in the Apostolic Constitution. Yeah, what year were we talking about? 1950. Yes, uh, not yeah. long ago. That's right. Munificentissimus Deus, when he promulgated the dogma, he mentions eight times that Mary died, uh, th- that she died, she died, she died, laid in state, the apostles came, and sh- they saw her assumed. And that's the tradition that we hold to as Catholics. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not infall- he, he didn't infallibly define that he taught it on the ordinary level. What he infallibly taught is that she was assumed. Mm. Body but and soul. Out of respect for our Eastern Catholic friends, we have to say, yes, that is the teaching of the ordinary magisterium, and we are bound to give religious assent to that. Now, I, kn- I know some folks who kind of lean toward Mary never having died, and I always say to them, you know, it's not an infallible thing, so no. you know you can continue to ask questions, and, and if you believe that you do, I think you're wrong, uh, and mm-hmm. I think the magisterium is, is right here, and you're not allowed as a Catholic to publicly contradict yeah. the theology of the Dormition. We're not, you know, even though in our heart of hearts we can struggle with that and even prefer the other. So I want to make that clear, and I, and I do in the book. It right. is the teaching of the Church and our Eastern Fathers have to be credited, really, mm. with upholding that tradition. You know how the Eastern Catholics are, man. They are staunch defenders of the tradition, and we love them for yeah, that. Yeah, amen. Beautiful. Uh, you, you uh, as we last couple of things here, you, you've yeah. touched on the queenship of Mary, yeah. um, and then mediatrix. So I sort of want to hit on those two. Absolutely. Uh, so queenship of Mary. Yeah, and you know, it's such a beautiful doctrine. Queenship is deeply rooted in the idea of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, when Jesus came, he came to restore, and not just restore the Davidic kingdom. And you'll notice that in Matthew's gospel, especially because right from the beginning in Matthew chapter one, he is son of David, right? And he has come to reestablish, and and he doesn't just reestablish 
the Davidic kingdom because he takes it to a level that King David could have never imagined, <laughs> right? Because the king of kings and lord of lords of the kingdom Jesus established is not an earthly king. He is almighty God. And of Amen. course, King David and the Old Testament people of God could not even have imagined. The incarnation, of course, is a mystery that so far transcends our our human faculties and such, but the kingdom is so crucial in all the Gospels, but especially in Matthew's Gospel. And when you look back in history and you look at salvation history at the kingdom, it becomes so clear that in the kingdom you had two offices that were extremely important. Now we're not talking about the papacy here, but you know. Go back Old Testament here. Old Testament, Isaiah chapter uh, 20 verses, that would be, uh, I want to say, where is that about? Verses 20 through 22. Okay. Yes. The, the famous story of the what would be called the master of the palace in the kingdom because you had the king who has the authority of God, but he had a right-hand man who was called the master of the palace, or we would call him kind of a prime minister, mm -hmm. right, who spoke with the authority of, of the king. Yes. And that, of course, is a type of Peter and the papacy, we're not here to talk about that, but there's another office we are here to talk about, and that is the office of the Jebera or the Queen Mother. Mm. And what I do in the book is I show examples of the Queen Mother, and some of those Queen Mothers in the Old Testament were incredibly wicked yeah. women. But the, the Old Testament scriptures bring out that there was nobody in the kingdom that had any more authority than the king and his mother. Interesting. Even more so than the prime minister, there is a direct, and I'll give you an example. In 1 Kings uh, chapters 1 and 2, we have the story of Bathsheba. Yes. Who, of course, we all know was the wife uh, of, of King David. But when she was the, the wife of King David, in, in 1 Kings chapter 1, when she goes in to see her husband who is the king because she wants something from him. She has to go in, she brings the high priest with her, a prophet with her in order to bolster her appeal yes. because she doesn't have any sort of automatic authority. Sorry ladies, yes. the queen wife didn't have the automatic power that the queen mother did. And this is an important thing to point out. In the ancient Near East, and in fact, in Oriental cultures in general, uh, uh, you know, the ancient East, mm. there was a, a problem with authority in various kingdoms around the world because after the king, who has, who's next in line? Who has the, the most power? And this becomes very important if the king should die and yes. that sort of thing. Well, the answer couldn't be found in the wife of the king because there was polygamy. You had yeah, a case of Solomon, lives. you had yeah. a thousand. That's right. Can you imagine the fight? Yes. <laughs> you know, if, if, exactly. if the wives have the authority? <laughs> so the answer was found in the queen mother, the Jebera. And she was next in line. In fact, I show you two examples in the Old Testament of queen mothers who actually ruled over Israel in the absence of their sons. Yeah. And these happen to be wicked uh, and such. But that was the power of the Queen Mother. Well, you see it there because in 1 Kings chapter 1, again, when Bathsheba goes in to request something of her husband, the king, she has to bring others with her and she basically has to beg, right? But 
Then David dies. Yes. And now Bathsheba is not just one of his multiple wives. She's now the queen mother. And mother another, of Solomon. That's right. And another situation arises in 1 Kings chapter 2, and especially in verse 17 there. In 1 Kings chapter 2, you see Bathsheba goes in. She doesn't need anybody with her. All she does is go in and says, I want a word with you. And what happens? Instead of her having to beg, literally get on her knees in, in chapter 1 with her husband, the king, it's David who calls for a throne to be set at his right yes. hand. Oh, Solomon. Yes. Oh, yes, Solomon. Solomon yes. Thank you. Solomon has a throne set at, at his right hand, invites Bathsheba to sit on the throne, right. and then says, now ask me anything, for there is nothing I can refuse you. Wow. Wow. You see the power of the queen mother. Mm. Fast forward to the New Testament. Mary is the queen mother in that reestablished kingdom of David, the kingdom of heaven on earth. And, oh, we could go through the wow. examples, but of course you have the wedding feast of Cana, which is such a beautiful yes. example of her intercessory power because they ran out of wine. They go to Mary. Mary goes to Jesus. And I, I just love it. Now, we don't have time to do this now, but if you get the book, I go into the Greek text here and show you it is powerful when Mary basically asks for the miracle and Jesus appears to say no. And in fact, he uses emphatic terms when he wow. says, Ti emoi kai soi gune, what to me and to you woman, my hour has not yet come. That's a powerful no, I am not doing this, right? And yet, what does mama do? She says, get ready, here comes the miracle. Wow. Why? Because she's the queen mother. She has spoken, and she knows it's going to happen. And guess what? He performs the miracle. And not only does he perform the miracle, but if you look down to verse 11, it says thus, and basically this is because of the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now again, we don't want to say that Jesus was the bad guy, Mary was the good guy. No, that's not what's going on here. In fact, any goodness in Mary comes from Jesus. Yes. But Jesus is using this situation and he, that harsh language of no. It's like a rebuke. And I know a lot of people didn't like that when I used that, that word in my book and I got some pushback on it. I will show you in the book from the Old Testament that that's exactly what those words represent. And I give you a multitude of examples from the Old Testament. It's a, it's a Hebraism. That language, ti emoi kai soi, is a rebuke. It's a way of saying, I don't want anything to do with you. Get away from me. In fact, I mentioned this not only in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament. You remember when the, the Gadarene demoniacs in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, when Jesus encounters the demoniacs there, if you remember, the demons cry out mm. and they say, what is this between you and us? Are you come to torment us before the time? It uses the same Greek structure, except it's in the plural. Instead of, you know, tia moikai soi, that is what to me and to you. In the singular, it's us in the plural. But that's the demons saying, get away from us. Wow. You know, we don't want anything to do with you. That's why the, the, the language is so important here because Jesus is using the strongest language he can to show us the intercessory power of Mary. He is saying, I am not going to do this unless mama says so. <laughs> and, and there you see that, that queen mother 
you know, of the Old Testament incarnate in the Blessed yeah. Virgin Mary in the most glorious way. Amazing. Isn't that powerful? The Queen Mother. Wow. I mean, this. Uh, you go on. I mean, there's the, uh, Theotokos. I don't know if we've got time. If we can squeeze one more in. Yeah. Can we squeeze this one in? The, I'll give it a shot. The Mediatrix. Oh, yes. What? Okay. So yeah. please explain about that. Yes. And, and remember, you know, Lumen Gentium section 62 from the dogmatic constitution on the church lumen gentium at vatican II, makes clear that mediatrix mm -hmm. is an official title of the blessed virgin mary okay. but the church has and i mentioned this in the book in recent years uh pope benedict uh john paul in fact and and now pope francis have moved away from the title of co-redemptrix okay but a lot of people don't understand this not the theology of the co-redemptrix. Co-redemptrix is absolutely the teaching of the church when you're talking mm. about the theology of co-redemptrix. It's the term okay. that the popes have moved away from, and, and it's because of the confusion it causes. Okay. You know, especially with our Protestant friends, but even people within the church. The idea of co-redemptrix, does that mean Mary and Jesus are equal on the same level? And of course that's not true. And of course, I argue that, that I actually like the term, but I, I you know, in obedience to the Holy Father, um, I agree. He has the whole church in mind, as did Pope Benedict, and so I understand why they're moving away from it. In fact, in my talk tonight, I'm going to talk about, or tomorrow, one of my two talks tomorrow, Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, that I believe Beautiful, is yeah. a title that really steps into the void there and is a title we can use because it teaches the same thing as co-redemptrix mm -hmm. but in the context of Mary as Pope Francis says as a mother everything that Mary does all of her titles are rooted in her divine maternity and that's what uh, Lumen Gentium 62 says her divine maternity begins uh, at the end at the um, uh, the Annunciation yes. proceeds through the wedding feast of Cana to the foot of the cross and into eternity. She does not lay aside this saving office, the council fathers say, but it's all in the context of her divine maternity. And so the church is moving away from the term co-redemptrix and replacing it with things like 1964, Paul VI, Mother of the Church. Now this beautiful title of Mother of the Eucharist, which is absolutely beautiful and yes. again i wish y'all could be here in yeah. australia because i'm going to talk about it tomorrow but that's the key is that the theology is fine because we what, what we have to understand when we're talking about mediatrix is that mary is not equal to jesus mm -hmm. absolutely not i mean i use the example of saint paul in first corinthians 3 9 where he says of he and apollos he says, we are co-laborers with Christ, soon ergoi in Greek, which in Latin comes down as co, soon in Greek comes down as co in Latin. And so what does that mean? They're co-laborers. Does that mean they're equal with Jesus? Of course not. They're co in the sense of being with, yes. cooperating with, not on a par, but co-laborers. And so when you understand co-redemptrix or Mary's role in God's plan of salvation as being one of cooperating with Jesus you understand there's no contradiction here Mary is simply given a unique role 
of bringing about the salvation of the whole world that no other created being in history has ever or will ever have because of her unique grace to be the Theotokos, the mother of God. She was given the plenitude of grace and empowered by God there in Luke chapter 1. And I do this in the book. I show you how that Mary in Luke chapter 1 verses 37 and 38 when famously the angel Gabriel announces she is being called to be the mother of God, you know, uh, whose kingdom will have no end. I'm, I'm looking at verse 33 there. Uh, and Mary asks the question, how shall this be? For mm. I know not man. Of course, she's got a vow of perpetual virginity. So how is she going to give birth? The angel explains how the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One, which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And this is the sixth month with your relative, Elizabeth, who was called barren, for nothing shall be impossible with God. Beautiful. And then Mary responds, let it be done unto me according to your word. And the word is made flesh and dwelt among us. So there we see in the plainest of terms, Mary as, as mediatrix, yes. right? Because it's her yes that is the occasion of the there incarnation. Is. And in fact, without Mary's yes, there is no Jesus. Yeah. In fact, without Mary, there's no Jesus. Mary alone can say as Adam in Genesis 2, where is that? Genesis 2, 23, when, when God puts him into a deep sleep and he brings Eve out of, of his very body, his rib, he says, behold, bone of my, of my bone, bone yeah. flesh of my flesh at last. Only Mary can say that of her blessed son, bone of my bone, flesh oh, of my flesh. Because the whole, just as the whole Eve came out of Adam, the whole Jesus, the whole new Adam, comes out of the Blessed Virgin wow. Mary. And that showing an absolute unique relationship between Mary and Jesus that no other creature wow. has ever or can ever have. This is her unique role. She brings the whole Jesus to the whole world and without her, there ain't no Jesus. And as I point out in the Amen. book, it doesn't stop there in Luke chapter one at the incarnation, but we already saw the wedding feast of Cana. Yes. Without Mary, there's no institution of Jesus' ministry. There's no wedding feast of Cana and that first miracle, which I didn't even mention in verse 11. There, Jesus performs his first miracle. He begins to manifest his glory and the apostles come to believe in him through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then you have the famous prophecy of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, you know, behold, uh, a sword will pierce your soul, he says yes. to Mary, so that the thoughts of the many, who are the many? All of us mm. would be manifest. The same many that Jesus was going to die for, Mary also suffered for. And that's a prophetic text that's fulfilled in John chapter 19, when at the foot of the cross, the sacred heart of Jesus is joined with the immaculate heart of Mary. And they give birth to John, who is a symbol of all of us Amen. at the foot of the cross. And Amen. that continues now into eternity. As Lumen Gentium 62 says, when she was assumed into heaven, she did not lay aside her saving office, but she continues to bring all of the faithful home and will do so until the fulfillment of all the elect at the end of time. Amen, amen, amen. We're out of time, but my <laughs> goodness.
We can go forever on this. Yes, we could. This is it. All in. Behold your mother. Thank you very much for doing this. Um, All right. Sure. Wow. Masterpiece. So available at catholic.com. Go to the uh, there. You've got a website, timstaples.com. Check it out. Absolutely. Timstaples.com. And then, of course, those in Australia and New Zealand, uh, you can go to perusiamedia.com to get a copy of this uh, today, a masterpiece on Our Lady. Thank you for doing this. Praying for you. Keep going. Don't stop. That's another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabba Rach. Until next time. God bless.